0: This morning I just want to say welcome. Thank you for coming. I also want to say welcome to welcome to those who are um, online and listening um, online. We're glad that you are tuned in and glad that uh, you come to hear the Word of God. And I just do want to say that it's a privilege and pleasure to be able to be up here and, and open up the Word of God. That's what Paul said at the beginning of his verses. It's a privilege and pleasure to be able to open up the Word of God. And I just wanted to say that thank you for allowing me to be up here to open up the Bible and see what it says this morning. We are looking at uh, a series called First John, going through the book of First John, and, and that series is called So That You Know That You Believe, is what the series is called. You might say, Well, where did you get the title, That? So That You Know That You Believe. Where I got the title is when John writes a book, he explains to you why he wrote the book. When he wrote the book of John, uh, he explains to you why he wrote the book of John at the very end of the book. He says, I wrote this so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. So if I was going to preach the book of John, I'd preach it in that perspective. The author wrote this so that we would believe, and I'd go through all the stories and the parables and the miracles and in the life of Jesus in the book of John, and it's written so I may believe, and then I read John 3.16, for God so loved the world that whoever believes on him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's all in the perspective of that book, because that's why... John wrote the book, yet inspired by God as he's writing the book. So as we're looking at the book of 1 John, we can say, well, what's the book about? John's going to tell you. Very end of the book, he says, I write this so that you know that you believe. John was written, I write this so you will believe. And then he writes, 1 John, I wrote this so that you know you believe. And so he's given us the gospel all the way through the book. It's written in the life of, of Jesus Christ. But then he writes five chapters that just carry a punch. <laughs> and, uh, and he's even aggressive in these five chapters in this book of 1 John. And what he wants to do is he wants to get right into your heart. Right into your heart. Because what happens is the gospel gets right into your heart. And he's going to give you the nuances. He's going to give you the that dynamics. He's going to give you so much information in those five chapters that when you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to learn a lot about yourself. You're going to learn a lot about him. You're going to learn a lot how this gospel works. And you'll be able to ask a question, do I really believe? Now, when it comes to that statement, people go, well, I don't want to doubt my salvation. We're going to go through the book of John. I'm going to doubt my salvation. The book's not written for the purpose of you doubting your salvation. The book is written for the purpose to disclose salvation in your heart. A lot of people have, you know, believed in Christ when they're young. And as they're young, they accepted Christ as they accepted Christ. All these things just took place. The book of 1 John is no new information to a believer. The book of 1 John goes, oh yeah, this is how it works. Yeah, this is how it works. This is how it works. It's not a lot of, it's no new information. It's just the unfolding of the gospel and what it does to you. But it'll also refine us a little bit. And what I mean by refine this is that, yeah, I believed when I was a kid. And, um, but then our mind gets a little messed up and saying, oh, well, maybe I'll believe this instead. Well, this book pulls us back on track to say, Well, if you stay here, a believer, this is what's going to happen. Nurture these things that are going to happen. So that's a long introduction, but that's what's going on for the next 12, 13 weeks as we work through this book. So before we get started in our passage this morning, I just want to take a test because this is a foundational test. And uh, you want to get the right answer to this test? And the reason why is um, because it will be the one thing that will motivate you in the gospel. It's the gospel piece that will just motivate you, it will drive you, it is extremely foundational. And, um, and as it's extremely foundational, let's just, let's just find the, the right answer. So let's just look at the right answer. I'll show different questions or different answers and you guys can tell me if it's the right one or not. Don't tell me, just kind of say it in your mind. But here we go. Why did Jesus give us the gospel? Jesus left heaven. Jesus came to earth, he lived a perfect life, he died on the cross, and he rose again. Why did Jesus give us the gospel? Here's an answer. God gave us the gospel so we can be made new. Is that an incorrect answer or is that a correct answer? I'd say that's an incorrect answer. God gave us the gospel to forgive our sins. Is that a correct answer or is that a wrong answer, an incorrect answer? Um, I would say it's, a, it's an incorrect answer. Now I know that you guys are thinking, whoa, 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 I got a whole bunch of passages in the back of my mind that I can show you that this is the why he gave us the gospel. I know what you're thinking right now, I just want you to know that. But I'd say it's an incorrect answer. God gave us the gospel to make us right with God. I would say that's an incorrect answer. God gave us the gospel so we can have eternal life. I'd say that's an incorrect answer. And I know that you guys have stones and you've read the book of Deuteronomy and says, you know, what do you do with false prophets? You cast stones at them and you stone them. And I know that you guys are thinking about that right now, but just, 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 just sit down and relax a little bit. That's a wrong answer. Here we go. God gave us the gospel so we can be saved. Incorrect answer. I'd say it's an incorrect answer. Why did God give us the gospel? I believe this is the correct answer. God gave us the gospel so we can have fellowship with God. But don't worry, we're going to look into this a little bit. So, uh, but let's look into our passage. Number one in our notes, believers have fellowship with God. When a believer accepts Jesus Christ and walks in the Christian life, a believer has fellowship with God. Let's read John 1, 1 through 4. Same passage we looked at last week, but we're going to look at a different part. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we have looked at with our own hands and we have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you eternal life, which was with the Father, and he has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and what we have heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son. Jesus Christ we write this to make our joy complete so here we get the gospel and we get the gospel with passion as we looked at last week he gives us the gospel in a sense of I've seen I've heard I have felt I've touched you know Jesus Christ is the answer and he starts to talk about he's given us eternal life and he is the word of life the gospel is then presented and then what do you get out of the gospel he says in this you get fellowship with us which we're going to talk about later but we have fellowship with God. You get that awesome gift of fellowship with God. Now what preachers can do, and I'm just gonna say I'm not doing it. Preachers can say, well, it says that the gospel is given for fellowship with God in that verse, but didn't you ever read John three sixteen? The gospel is given so we could have eternal life. Having read Acts sixteen thirty one, the gospel is given for those who believe so you would have life and life full, so you will be saved. You know, that's, that's, that's where it's at. But let's look at this test again. Let's put the test up on the screen. God gave us the gospel so we can be made new. Uh, absolutely, the gospel is, is there. It makes us new, but I said it's the wrong answer, but you can pull out verses. Forgive sins, you, you can pull out verses. You make right with God, you can still pull out verses. can have eternal life, you can pull out verses. Can be saved. Why would you say that these are incorrect answers? I know that's what you're thinking. This is the reason why I'd say it's incorrect answers. Have you ever taken a test in high school? You have to have a complete answer to get to the bottom of what's going on. Here's getting to the bottom of what's going on we have been made new for a purpose, to have fellowship with God. We have been forgiven from our sins for a purpose, and that purpose is to have fellowship with God. We have been made right with God for a purpose, and that purpose is to have fellowship with God. We have been given eternal life for a purpose. There's a reason, and that is so we can have fellowship with God now and the rest of eternity. We have been given eternal life for a purpose. We have been saved, what, for a purpose, so we can have fellowship with God, See, all those things that when we preach the gospel, we are saying these things, and it's good that we're saying these things, that believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you can be saved. Absolutely, you gotta keep on saying this. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and what's gonna happen? You're gonna have eternal life. Continue to say these things. These are the things that we say, even look at the gospel here. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you can have fellowship with us. You know, who's us? Us is the body. But what all those things are doing, all those things are doing are moving us into a relationship with God, is moving us into the fellowship with God, and the heartbeat of the Christian life is this relationship, and the heartbeat of the relationship is the fellowship that we have with him, specifically, with him, specifically. In the Garden of Eden, what took place? Sin took place, and after sin took place is an annihilation of fellowship, annihilation of relationships, Where is the annihilation? Annihilation between husband and wife. We can see that in in Genesis. Annihilation between the uh, the woman and also the serpent. Annihilation of relationship. And then annihilation of the relationship between man and woman and God. And the gospel has been given to restore that fellowship, to restore that relationship. Therefore, the purpose of everything Jesus said, everything Jesus did, all the events is that we might have fellowship with God. It is the design, it is the goal, it is the the aim of everything that God has set out to do is that you would have fellowship specifically with him. So to think of it this way is that we could ask the question, why did I receive the gospel? Was it for fellowship or was it for, for something else? So what happens is that if you don't sense God's presence when you, when you pray, if you don't sense God's presence in your life, if, if there's just no sensing of God's presence, his hand of the gospel that is on you, if you don't feel his grace, if you don't experience his love, just, just in your heart, just an overwhelming sense of experience of his love, if you, if you don't open the word, and you get don't get life from it at all. I'm talking about no emotion from it at all. A historical book, so historical that you can't even stand to open up and read it. If nothing has taken place in regards to a hand of warmth, a, um, a connection with God, um, then fellowship is lacking. But don't worry, if fellowship is lacking, some of you might be thinking, I didn't know fellowship was even in the factor. Well, fellowship is the foundation of the factor because everything that christ set out to do is so you can feel his presence as you walk through life so you can see his hand you can see his touch so when you pray and you see the answers that you can give credit where credit is due everything is in regards to fellowship with god and god is do put these things in place because he wants to specifically have a relationship with you jeremiah 9 23 says this is what the lord says Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the strong man boast in his strength. Or the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast about this in this one thing that he understands and knows God. That he understands and he knows me. This is where our excitement comes. This is where our excitement builds. This is where our excitement rests. Psalm 73. Whom I have in heaven but you, and on earth I desire nothing besides you. He's saying, you know, who cares about this earth? As long as I have you, I've got everything. Who am I going to have in heaven? I mean, if I get to heaven and you're not there, you know, I want to look for some another heaven. (laughs) If even if it's the one you created and you're not there, I want to look for something else because my relationship is and my embrace of that gospel is so I can have fellowship specifically with you. So if that if that is the, the, the tone and the foundation of the gospel, we do want to ask the question what is fellowship? And then steps to have fellowship with God. So in other words, I want to have fellowship with God. What are my steps to have fellowship? So let's first look at what is fellowship if we're going to talk about fellowship. Number two, fellowship. Koinonia is the Greek word for fellowship. And what does it mean? It means communion, to share, and the partnership. These are the words that were given in regards to koinonia, explaining and describing the meaning of that word. So communion, just look at that word specifically. Um, com is the prefix to with. And then we know what union is, the connection, so it's union with. That's what communion means, union with. So when Jesus was at the last, last um, um, supper and he was speaking to his disciples, he was having fellowship with them at the table as they were eating. And, and he's saying, I'm going to go away, but he leaves them with something. He's like, I am going to go away, but guess what? The Holy Spirit is going to come and is going to be inside of you and you're going to continue to have fellowship with me, therefore when you break the bread, and when you drink the juice or drink the wine, every time that you do it, remember that I am there. Remember me, because fellowship is not broken, even though that I'm, that I, that I, that I'm leaving away because the Holy Spirit will be there. Communion is what fellowship is. Also to share, uh, to share what? Um, just look at um, our lives um, in our marriage situations, or look at the lives of our neighbors, or look at the lives that we're connected with people. Share what? And there's different levels, but share life, share heart, share emotions, share time, share conversation, share tears, share thoughts, share minds, um, share interests. Fellowship is a sharing that consistently happens with your life. It's also a partnership, working together, walking together, living together, talking together, sacrificing Together. That's what fellowship is. And that's just talk about what fellowship is. And they're all in our relationships that are out here in relationships within our marriage. But God says, This is what I'm doing. I've given you the gospel so you can specifically have fellowship with him, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. And when after he died, what took place? The temple veil was torn and says, Now you have access to me, just like you have access to those who are around you. Number three, fellowship falls under the category of relational, not ritual, theological, behavioral, or logical. There's a lot of religions out there, a lot of belief structures, a lot of theological structures, um, a lot of different kingdoms that we, we can go to. And I will tell you what Christianity separates from all of them is this the, um, is this um, a fellowship and bringing under the category of relationship? Let's just go through each of these. All rituals. What is ritual? Ritual. Ritual is a religious pattern of behavior, a religious pattern of behavior that you do over and over and over and over again for the purpose of pleasing the Almighty, for the purpose of pleasing an over an over enlarging um, power. I went to Israel a couple times, and when I went to Israel. We went to the temple, and uh, the temple is where, um, is known as the Holy of Holies, is where the temple is literally at, and it's, it's still on this earth, the foundation of it's still on this earth, and, and there's a couple different religions. You've got the Jewish, uh, you have the Christian, and then you have the Muslims that are, that are there around this temple because it's a you know, holy spot, and it is a holy spot. It's a, it's, it's a historical spot, but a lot of prayers, a lot of rituals were taking place um, in, in that spot. And um, I was only going to be there for three days. You know, we're going to look at the temple for three days. And then I was going to go home. And as these people are doing these rituals, um, am I going to go home empty-handed? Because they're standing in the Holy of Holies, and I'm going to fly back to America. And they've got the rituals that are taking place upon the Holy of Holies. Well, what about about me? What do you see what took place in the gospel? The gospel said that Jesus does not dwell. Um, in kingdoms and homes of, um, built by man, but he dwells where? In the human, the human heart. And when I accept him, all of a sudden it's just like I have a relationship that is rich, that is deep, and I'm gonna take that relationship home with me and all of a sudden Christ spread Kirk throughout the world because he's not gonna be located in a, in a temple. He's gonna be located in the human heart where we have access to him here just as much as people have access to him anywhere else completely and entirely on this planet. It is based not on all the rituals that we do, but it's based on the relationship that we have. Now, we have a couple rituals, and one ritual is baptism. We encourage you to be baptized. We'll always encourage you to be baptized via not being baptized. But what is that ritual? What is driving that ritual? The thing that's driving that ritual is fellowship. (laughs) If you've embraced God as your Lord Jesus Christ, what we want to do is we want you to go through this, and the reason why we want you to go through this is so you can proclaim to the world that you've been saved. So you can proclaim to the world that you have fellowship with God. Because of the death, burial, and resurrection, you have fellowship with him. That's why that is driving even our communion. It's all about relational. It's not about ritual because relational is driving the ritual things that are taking place in Christianity. Then you can look at theology. What is theology? Theology is the study of the nature of God. But theology does what? It comes out of fellowship. In other words, if you do not have fellowship with God, you will understand very little about God, according to the Bible. If you do not have fellowship with God, if you're not praying, if you're not talking, if you're not sensing the Spirit, then you'll have very little understanding of who God is. But when you become having fellowship with God, then all of a sudden the theology grows. The Bible comes alive. The Bible becomes wow, this is, theology is is literally this relationship that has now impacted my heart because I've taken God in and he is now revealing himself to me and that's what theology is. And I'm getting more and more and more of again, why? Because I have fellowship, not because I just embrace theology or no theology. See, Christianity is not that intimidating in the sense that embrace God, just embrace God and have this relationship with God and everything will start to unfold. Don't get all the theological structures in place before you can come to God. Just embrace him and have fellowship with him and all of a sudden the theological structures and the constructs will come into place. Behavioral. Are we saying that um, the Bible is not about behavior? Uh, no, the Bible's all about behavior. But what drives behavior? The thing that drives behavior is our fellowship. The things that pulls us away from sin is what? Is our fellowship. The things that convicts us when sin, comes, when sin comes in is what? It's our fellowship, do you see that foundational piece? Everything that is driving our lives in our Christian life is this, is this fellowship with, with God. And then logical, a lot of people don't come to Jesus because they think they need to know a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah, you know, I gotta know this, I gotta know this, and I gotta know this, I gotta know this. I'll tell you what you need to know to become a Christian. You need to know that you can't get to heaven on your own and Jesus knew it. And he left heaven. He came to earth. He lived a life you could not live. And then he died on the cross, placing all your sins on your shoulders, on, on his shoulders. And then he went to the grave and rose again. And it is under his merit that you can be saved, not your own. That's all you need to know. That's the start of a relationship. Then you have a start of a relationship. There's not a lot of logic that needs to take place. All it is, you need to know somebody loves you. And the person that loves you is, is God, is the King of Kings is the Lord of Lords. It's centered around fellowship and relationship. So we get intimid- intimidated by Christianity, but all you need to do is embrace your savior, and then everything else will start falling into place. So you ask the question, well, how do you have fellowship with God? Well, here are some simple steps to start fellowship with God, and I just want to give you this foundational one and whether you've known God for many, many years or whether you're even looking at God right now and saying, well, should I be saved or not? Number, number fours are foundational. No, choose God for God. Choose God for God. It's not that easy. And the reason why I'm just gonna say that it's, it's, it's not that easy is I'll just give you a story why it's not that easy. Last week, um, no, I'm sorry, not last week, last month, Um, I went on a hiking trip and I went for an entire month. And uh, when I went on a hiking trip for an entire month, there was two weeks prior before I left. And two weeks prior before I left, I wanted to leave with a house in order. So I went out and I said, I'm gonna kill all the weeds with with Weedmaster. And uh, I'm gonna spray the, you know, spot spray the yard, make sure every single weed's dead. My wife will be able to look out. She'll see a beautiful yard. I will be gone and she'll just still be, oh, it's all right that he's gone because the yard is beautiful. So I just spot sprayed it, Our spot sprayed it. And then I went into the barn, and I saw what I put on. It was not Weedmaster. It was Roundup. And after I sprayed the yard, um, I had to make a confession. And uh, my confession was, honey, I think I made a mistake. I think I made a mistake. I don't know if it will all die, and I don't know what will die, but I sprayed Roundup on the yard rather than Weedmaster on the yard, so it might look a little different before I leave for a month. And uh, it was not an easy question. I just want to say I have the most gracious wife in the world. She goes, well, maybe it won't die. Well, it, it did. And- and it looked like a, a road map that has taken place in our yard. It looked absolutely horrible. And the neighbors started to text me. They said, what, are you starting a new trend around the neighborhood? I mean, where do you read a book on that? I mean, it started to look good. How, can you show me how to do my yard like that? And I, they started to, make, started to make fun of me. And then right before I left, I just had to say, All right, honey, I am so sorry. I will fix it when I get back. And, and then I leave for entire months to go hiking. And then I, I come back. And of course it's on my to-do list i gotta i gotta fix this yard and it's on her to-do list too yeah you're you're gonna you gotta fix this yard so i i go out there and i've got to take the sod off or i can't just put seed on top of sod maybe i don't know how to do a yard but you just can't throw seed on top of sod so i buy you know i buy a, a little something to put on my weed whacker and i go out there and i start to weed whack it and i'll tell you that's a lot of work dust was flying everywhere and that sod was not coming off and it was it was not easy and i i came to the conclusion i said you know what this has got to wait a year because if you wait a year, the sod will die and then I'll have dirt that will come into spring and then I could just throw the seed on top. So I went in and I talked to my wife and I say, honey, I I think we need to wait a year um, to next spring. And then what happens, I could just plant it then. And uh, she says, you know, when we got married, according to the vows that you say is I own 50% of you and you own 50% of me. I want to take the 50% of your mind that is in your head right now, and I want that to figure it out, how to make sure that this is not going to happen for a year. So you go out there and you figure it out. I also take the 50% of the shoulders that are on your back, and after you figure it out, I want you to make sure it's done. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll try to go figure it out. Well, I got my yard in right before it rained. I shoveled 160,000 pounds of dirt, and I put about four inches on top of it. Good, 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 rich soil. So it is complete, but here's the moral of the story. It's a lot easier to kill a yard if you're not married. (laughs) The the reason why is because I have to deal with the emotions. I have to deal with somebody else's mind. I have to deal with somebody else's thought. I have to deal with somebody else's yard. I mean, I can just completely satisfy myself if I wasn't married. It was just, oh, I just wait a year. Oh yeah, I'll put it together. Yeah, it doesn't have to be perfect. You know, I can easily do that. And, you know, as I kept on thinking about that, you know, it's a lot easier to kill a yard too if you weren't friends with your neighbors. You know, if you had no relationship with your neighbors, it would sit there and post things. What did you do to your yard? and sit there and make fun at you and poke, poke fun at the yard that you absolutely killed. It's a lot easier to just get rid of relationships if you're going to kill a yard. That's, that's the moral of the story. But you know what? That's the same way with God. It's a lot harder to have a relationship with God than to go through rituals. It's a lot harder to have a relationship with God than to go through Behavior. It's a lot harder to have a relationship with God than to go make him into a logical structure. Because when you have a relationship with God, what are you doing? You are inviting him into your life. And when you invite him into your life, you're asking him to be with you during the day. You're asking him to be walking with you during the day. And as we are walking with him during the day, what happens? Sin's going to take place. And he's given us this awesome thing. You may confess your sins if you're faithful and just to forgive us your sins. And you'll completely cleanse us from all righteousness. But what about the sin that you just don't want to get rid of? You need to find another structure about who God is. Maybe a different structure about finding out who God is, is. Maybe Jesus just came to die so I can have eternal life. Because if Jesus just came to die so I can have eternal life, then I can embrace him, I can get eternal life, and then all of a sudden I can go and keep my sin that I will refuse to let go of, even though I know he wants me to let go of. It's a lot easier to build a complete, entire different structure in our mind than to embrace God for God. Because when you're embracing God for God, you're taking him absolutely in you will experience beauty, you'll experience wonder, you'll experience life and life to the fullest in the process of doing it. But I will tell you, embracing God for God is I'm not gonna go anywhere without him in this process. What you were saying is that I will share my life with God, I will share my thoughts with God, I will share my mind with God, I will share my heart with God, I will share my emotions, my tears, my conversation. I will walk with God, talk with God, work with God, I will live with God, I will sacrifice for God, and I can do it because Jesus Christ left heaven, he came to earth, and he lived a perfect life and died in my stead so I could have salvation with Christ and have that fellowship that he he has given me. It is the golden jewel of salvation to choose God for God. But we live in a world where it seems like we choose God for every single reason except him. Well, I'll come to church because my life is falling apart. Maybe he can put my life together. Well, that's a conditional love, isn't it? I come to church to see if my life is falling apart, and all of a sudden my life is still falling apart in church. God, you must not be what I'm looking for. Or prosperity. In Africa, we have a prosperity gospel. I can grow a church in about 10 minutes. All I have to do is say, God will give you money. <laughs> Everybody shows up, and that's a prosperity gospel that's being preached. Why? Because, because you're choosing God for something, also, choosing God for a healing, I'm, I'm, I'm sick, and since I'm sick, all of a sudden I, I gotta go to church. Why, because I'm sick and I hear that people can get healed when well, they come to church and, and all of a sudden say they get healed or say they don't get healed, it's all, in, it's all under condition. But if they do get healed, what's gonna take place? Is they're not gonna come to church next time they don't get healed because he answered one but didn't answer twice. See, what we do is we have everything under condition. And God's saying, don't embrace me for what you can get out of me. Don't even embrace me because you'll get a mansion in heaven. Embrace me for embracing me and everything will unfold. The Christian life will unfold. Your joy will unfold. Your joy will be complete. The Bible will all of a sudden turn to life. Turn to life. Also, prayer will, will come to life because you embrace God for God. And what are you doing? You're making it unconditional just like he has made it unconditional with you. Number two, to have fellowship with God. Having fellowship with God by by speaking to him in prayer throughout the day. Pastor D's been preaching for 45 years. What does he say? Pray every day, pray every day, pray every day, pray every day. He doesn't say, do this, do this, do this, here's a rule, here's a rule, here's a rule. He says, pray every day, pray, 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 pray. And what are we doing as we're praying? We're having fellowship with him. And as we're having fellowship with Him, what's taking place? We are being completely transformed by the fellowship that has taken place. That's the avenue of prayer. Now, a lot of people say prayer gets really dry; it gets really boring. Um, I know it does. Um, at the top of my journal, since I say it gets dry and gets boring, I have a, a list of prayer requests that I ask for God. And this is the list: God, give me You. God, give me Your mind. Give me Your heart. Give me Your will. Give me your desires. Give me your passions. Give me your love. God, I don't want to walk out of this room without you specifically meeting with me. I want to have fellowship in this prayer. I don't want to give you a laundry list of things for you to do. I want to love you more and more and more and more. And what takes place in that process, your prayer life begins to grow. Your prayer excitement begins to grow because you're praying wait, in the structure that brings that is begging for God. Instead of a structure that says, well, I'm going to give you a conditional thing, and if you don't meet this conditional thing, well, then prayer just doesn't work. But when you go to have prayer, pray throughout the day, every single day, constantly, and and meet with God through that process of prayer. Number six, have fellowship with God by listening to Him and His Word. Again, we're not bringing anything new, we're just bringing things that everybody already knows. Uh, But as we're bringing these things that we already know, well, what is the Word? We can ask the question. Um, Charles Spurgeon said the Bible is a letter sent to us from heaven signed by God dictated by the Holy Spirit and sealed with his blood and then George Swinnick says many may hear the word of Christ but few hear Christ in his word God wants to say something specifically to you in his word and when we go to his word we often think well I want God to say something about my situation I want God to say something about the, the problems that I'm dealing with. I will tell you a lot of things that God wants to say to you in his word. Is Number one, he wants to say, my love is sufficient. <laughs> my grace will always be there. I am a God that you want. I am a God that you desire. I am the God that forgives your sins. I am a God that has wiped your guilt away. He speaks on a foundational level from us in his word to make us into new people. Go to him for specifically of listening to his voice. Have fellowship with him in the word rather than reading the word just for, for checking it off a point. He wants you to see the gospel so clear, so rich, so powerful in its beauty to transform your life, to change your heart, to change your will, to change your mind. That's what the word is. Number seven, have fellowship with God by being connected to his body, the church. I'm not gonna give you a lot of explanation about this because there'll be a completely in, uh, different sermon on it in 1 John. But this is what God designed for fellowship. Pray every day, read the word every day, and meet together with my body every week at the bare minimum. You need to be connected with people because when you're connected with people, the fellowship with God, the relationship with God grows. It's just how he designed it. Look at First John 1 verse three, it says, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you, may, you also may have fellowship with who? With us. Who's he talking about? He's talking about the body. He's talking about the other disciples. He's talking about with people. In other words, they have seen who? Have they seen God when they seen them? No, they saw them before it was an even understanding that you can have fellowship with God. You can have fellowship with us. And where is our fellowship? Our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son and with Jesus Christ. These people that were unsaved in the book of Acts noticed something different about the disciples. And what did they want to do? They wanted to connect with those disciples to say, you have something different. And as soon as they came into church that you have something different, those unsaved people were told, it's not us. It's just because we have fellowship with, with, with them. You see the connections how it takes place. We can use many, many words, and I will tell you the words are correct. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. We can use the words that believe in God and you will have eternal life. Believe in God and you will be given a new life. Those are all right statements because what's happening is we only have one second to speak the gospel to lost people. And when you have that one second to speak the gospel to lost people, they will grab a hold, God will open their mind, when he opens their mind and they respond to it, all of a sudden, the relationship will then start to unfold, and the fellowship will be the foundational focus. Let's pray. <coughs> we just thank you for the gospel. We thank you that we can say the gospel in, um, in five seconds, a gospel that can change our lives, a gospel that can change our eternity as well, but God, saying it in five seconds, God And embracing it in two seconds afterwards, God, um, carries a punch, carries a power. And it's all under the circumstance of this fellowship with you. I just pray, God, for those who have received the gospel will make that their focus, that fellowship, God, will be with you so they can grow, so they can be transformed, so they can be changed into your image. I pray for those who are contemplating about receiving the gospel, that they would embrace it because finding fellowship with you, God, is the richness of life to richness of everything we desire in our soul. I just pray, God, for your power and your spirit to open our eyes to truth. You want a relationship with us. Help nobody in this room to neglect that. In Christ's name, amen.